about the fertility season two. Today, we're sitting down with Kelsey Canodal. She is going to share her walk through infertility and adoption. Kelsey is an army wife whose infertility journey started back in 2016, so almost eight years ago. Kelsey has had multiple treatments, a failed adoption, a successful adoption of her daughter, and now starting the process to adopt baby number two. Welcome, Kelsey. Hi, welcome. I'm so glad to be here. Hey, we're, we're so excited to have you. Yes, we really are. I found your account. Oh my goodness. Probably like at this point, almost two years ago when I started looking into adoption myself and definitely want to link your Instagram because it's so educational and you just kind of share the ins and outs of your life now. And obviously, as you guys are starting to adopt baby number two, um, that process as well. So did you start that account as soon as you kind of identified that you guys were going to walk an infertility journey or when did you start that? So, you know, I probably started Instagram when it became cool. <laughs> like everybody was kind of moving from Facebook to Instagram. And so at, initially, um, just kind of as a way to keep up with friends and family. And then actually we didn't share our infertility journey, um, until we were almost like two years in just because it was still kind of towing the line of that time where not a lot of people were talking about it. So we weren't very public. Um, I think it took me almost a year to even share with like my mom and family that we were going through infertility. Um, and then I actually had a really dear friend who just encouraged me because we would send each other Voxer messages and chat all the time. And she was like, you need to start like sharing this. Um, I think it would just be so helpful to release some of the like loss and grief and tension that your heart is feeling. And so it kind of just was like, okay, well I'll do it. She had a blog. And so I was like, I'll share a little bit on your blog. So it wasn't like directly on mine. And then that created a lot of traction and attention and it just kind of overflowed from there. And I feel like I haven't really stopped. There's been moments of like lots of sharing and then moments of more like reflection and learning and gaining. So yeah. That's so beautiful. So if you want to take listeners back, kind of, it, it sounds like you guys started trying and then you identified that you guys were going to struggle. So if you want to start there, I would love to hear that. Yeah. So we started trying, my husband is um, active duty army. He was deployed for a year in Afghanistan. And then when he came home, we being a military family, we're like, this is a great time to try because we think you might be home for a while. So um, we began trying like every other couple thinking absolutely it's going to happen easy. Um, I had lots of family who had gotten pregnant really quickly. So I was like, oh yeah, we can totally plan this. I want to be like really pregnant in the fall so I can be so cute and fall clothes. Like, you know, all the things that we do. So, um, yeah, so we began trying and unfortunately like a year in, obviously it wasn't working for us. And I kind of knew, I feel like around six months, I kind of got that gut feeling like something, this is going to be hard. And um, I think that's when like some of the grief and the fear and trauma started to set in a little bit around, ooh, this is, we might be like walking infertility. And I did not know a single person that had been sharing infertility. We didn't have any family or close friends who had gone through that. So it was kind of new territory for me. Um, after a year, then we began seeing a reproductive endocrinologist and they diagnosed us with unexplained infertility initially. So, um, we were kind of like, okay, well, all we have to do is just 
take some medication. Like that's what people do. They just go to the doctor and they get pregnant. And then, um, so we began trying some treatments and month after month as each treatment failed, I think my heart just sank deeper and deeper and deeper into ultimate despair and grief. Mm. And it was just like grappling with the loss of a dream that we were going to obtain an easy pregnancy or that we were going to even maybe even experience pregnancy. Like all of those dreams just started to really die. And the grief of that was so heavy. So after doing some treatments for about half a year, um, my husband actually was like, I think we need to like put this on pause and take care of our like mental health. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was really hard. Um, but he just really recognized that I was in a deep season of grieving and loss and had a very small community of people at that time that knew. Um, and so I just felt really isolated and alone and completely unseen. Um, and of course, like as natural habits will be like everyone around me was getting pregnant at that time. So it was kind of almost like, adding salt to a wound of just continuously looking around and seeing other miracles, other blessings happening, but being stuck kind of in our season. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. That, I mean, 2016, 2017, I, people weren't sharing anything like but People were sharing like a good, good on social and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure that was so isolating. You, my husband did the same thing. I just love that the men in our life can identify when we've just had enough and burnt out. We, we also took a break. So while you were doing all of your treatment and everything, was your husband on like, was he active duty or was he home with you? Yeah. So he's, um, active duty, but we luckily are able to live in this area pretty stably right now because he's been able to promote and stay within the same unit. So, um, we were able to like stay, he was able to be here. Um, we don't live where there's like a large military base, but, um, so he can live like in our personal home with us, which is so nice. And we don't have to worry about him being gone a whole lot, but I mean, of course there are times where he's away, Mm -hmm. um, for trainings and for just regular scheduled things that he has for his job, but ultimately he's able to be here. So that really helped with us trying to like pursue that timing around things. That's amazing. Yeah. That's definitely, yeah. yeah, An added stressor. So during that break, did you kind of, you guys as a family reset and say, okay, we're going to look at a different path or what kind of happened during that break? Yeah. So during that break, I actually started seeing a counselor, um, to process. And I find, I found somebody who specialized in like infertility and grief loss, which I feel like is so important because she had as a counselor walked through that same thing as well. And then I was able to just kind of like spend time healing a little bit myself. And, um, That's actually the same time that my husband, you know, he kind of was like preying on it and he actually began to approach me about adoption. So it came from him first. Um, and he was just like, I really feel like this strong pull for, I want to look into this. Um, would you be open to like calling some places with me and getting more information? Um, we didn't know a lot of people who had adopted at that time but adoption did come through my family line. My grandpa was adopted. And so we had had some conversations like as a family about what that means and just listening to my grandpa share his experience as an adoptee about it. So I was familiar with it, but I don't think I was ready to put all of my 
eggs into that basket. I almost needed like time to grieve sure. more of the infertility stuff before I was ready to pursue that with my whole heart. It's so interesting. I always feel like there's like one person in the relationship that kind of like is like, okay, I think we should maybe move towards adoption. I know Kat, you could talk probably more to that since you guys were going to go that route. And I know you have really it. That sounds beautiful. Yes. I was the one to initiate, but I love when like the husband initiates because that's, I mean, that's exciting. And it sounds like he was like really looking into it himself. Um, and I, I hear you on that, like grieving the infertility. And I know I'm sure you'll get into that piece of, and similar with Amanda with embryo adoption, you really have to close that chat, like grieve that chapter and understand and say, okay, like this is, this is, we're closing this section today and we're going to go focus on that. Um, so when you guys started looking into it, from what I understand from your story, you guys were still pursuing treatment for fertility, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of, I, I was like, okay, I'm ready to leave that door open, but I'm not sure that that's the door that I'm ready to walk through. And I think in my mind and my heart, I wanted to make sure that I would be fully present for either option. And I just wanted, I, I almost like needed that like little bit of closure. And so, um, the initial treatments that we did was mainly like medication and just monitoring. And then after that, we did do a couple IUIs. And when both of those failed, I feel like that was just such a peaceful release for me to be like, you know what, like this door, I am ready to close that door for right now, but maybe not like fully close it, just like crack it open a little bit <laughs> almost yeah. of like, okay, like this, this is a, a spot in my life where I am feeling much more peaceful, like walking away from and looking towards a different direction because I wanted my whole heart to be in adoption, especially for the birth family and for our future child. Like I wanted, I'm, I'm going to be accountable to her one day to tell this story to her, our daughter. And I want her to know that we were like fully for her and that there was like no question in our heart and we were running straight towards it. So once I had that piece, I feel like it was a lot easier for me to then move forward with adoption wholeheartedly. And we haven't, we haven't looked back. And so it's been, um, a crazy, it was, it was wild getting into it. Cause you know, you don't know what you don't know and you're just kind of like drowning a little bit. It's almost <laughs> like infertility world, but like ramped up. Um, lots of acronyms, lots of education, lots of just like learning a lot about uh, other adoptees experience and birth parents and um, caseworkers and visits and all the things and finances. Uh, so we just began kind of the process there. And that led us to some really beautiful relationships where we were able to branch out and meet other people who were walking that same journey. And I think that was so powerful. And that's really where I started sharing more of our story online and just kind of what we were walking through. And yeah, Kelsey, for listeners, because you guys walked through a very difficult season of adoption that a lot of people, you know, that's one of the bigger fears when they start the process, a disrupted adoption. Um, mm -hmm. Would you mind kind of sharing with us like how long the process, you know, took from start to disruption adoption and then, and then to your daughter? Yeah. So I didn't know it then, but it ended up being like the timing of it ended up being an absolute miracle and gift for us. But 
So we began our home study in early 2019, and we were home study approved by June of 2019. Um, we went active with our consultant that we were using to help match for adoption in August, and we presented two cases um, of you know, expectant parents looking to place um, every single month. So August, September, October, November, December. Um, and we had all received not yet, which is very hard to walk through, even though you're like prepared for it and you're praying intentionally for these families. It's difficult to receive a not yet on top of having infertility because it kind of feels like you're being passed over again. But just reminding myself that like these babies and these parents are being prayed for and their forever family is out there, or maybe these families are choosing to parent and the prayers don't just disappear with them. They stay with the family. And so that was really helped me kind of go through that. Um, early January, 2020, we matched with an expectant mom, um, from Florida and we began communicating with her and she was expecting a baby girl to be due um, end of February, 2020. So this was before all, the all of the virus and all of the craziness in the world coming our way. Um, so we were so excited. We were just filled with so much hope and anticipation. We were communicating with the expectant parent like every day. Um, texting, chatting, pictures, all the things. And um, we actually got a call. So we had a session where a photographer set up to do like an adoption shoot for us where, um, you know, like a maternity shoot, you would be holding your belly, but an adoption shoot, she was like having us hold our hearts and um, just really kind of have something intimate before baby was going to come and join our family that we could look back on those pictures. So we were there taking pictures and we actually got a call from our caseworker saying that the expectant mom was going to have um, the baby the next day and we needed to get on the plane like ASAP. So um, we, it was really a special memory because we actually have pictures of us receiving that call that we are going to be headed to Florida. So we made lots of plans. We jumped on a plane. We flew to Florida. We were there for the birth, um, stayed with the ex expectant mom during her labor. I was able to be in the birthing room and had like such a precious time with a beautiful baby girl. Um, and then a day and a half later, she um, decided to parent. And so we were then walking through a disrupted adoption, which I was completely unprepared for emotionally. I mean, like mentally, I had prepared myself that this could happen, but emotionally I was all in. I mean, we loved this baby um, fully and it, it was kind of a rocky road in that moment because we were celebrating that this baby was able to stay with her birth mom. Um, and that a family unit was preserved and that her life was that like she was alive. Um, but we were walking through the grief of what does that mean for us? And, you know, more like almost it, it felt like we left um, and I like had to grieve the loss of that baby almost as if like she was gone, like a stillbirth almost feeling of like we held her, we named her. And then we left without her. Um, and so it was a very unique feeling because that's not really talked about a lot. And that's not really shared about in 
the adoption community, it's kind of seen as like, you know, you should celebrate and then you just move on. But the reality is, is that we walked through deep grief and heaviness after that um, to the point where I wasn't even sure that I wanted to continue to resume um, our profile being open. Well, because so, yeah, you're setting, you're setting yourself up and saying, I could have to walk through that again. And like, just hearing that I'm like tearing up over here because I mean, those first 24 to 48 hours, I'm assuming are already so heavy and emotional. And you're trying to put yourself a hundred percent in the moment and, and bond with that child. And then it's just like ripped. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was um, it was really difficult and we were, we had like, we had left our flight ticket open because we were expecting we would possibly be there. And then we were having struggles getting on a flight home. So we ended up actually just driving to the coast and staying in like beach hotel. And we just sat on the beach and cried our eyes out for like 10 days. <laughs> and it was the most healing part though. We just could grieve privately. We didn't have to be explaining to family and friends. It just felt too heavy at that time to like, we didn't even know what was happening. We were still processing the loss um, that we had walked through. And so ultimately we came back home and we had so many friends and family surround us with just like continued love and support. Um, and my husband was again, very motivated to jump back in. He's like, we got to rip the bandaid off. We got to keep going. Like, I'm not going to let this stop us. Like we know it's almost like when you got that little glimpse, you like know how much you can love. Mm. And it just, he like, couldn't stop. Like he was just like, we have to keep going. And I was like, um, that is so sweet and encouraging. But then my, we prayed on it a lot. And then my husband and I decided that we, did want to go active again. And so um, about three weeks, four weeks after our disrupted adoption, um, we left our profile open again to see more cases. And um, because we had a disrupted adoption, the agency we were working with was going to notify us first if there was an, an expectant family and we would have kind of that first option to present to them. So uh, they actually emailed us and said, Hey, we are working with another expectant family. We're going to send over their information. If you'd like to present, like, let us know. So we read through it and, um, we, we were just like, okay, like, we'll just, we'll just try. We'll just put ourselves out there again. And I was thinking like, man, we probably look like we're just bleeding out. Like no one is going to pick us. And you know, like the grief I'm sure was just like so consuming, um, and so we kind of just did it as like, we want to rip the bandaid off and we want to just keep moving forward. And we felt like this weird piece about it, but at the same time, like a lot of fear. And, um, ultimately in a couple of days later, we got a call that we had matched again and they had chosen us and I was totally shocked and in complete disbelief. Um, and yeah, so for because for listeners, yeah. like adoption matches can take years, years. Yes. Yeah. And so that was really fast, especially coming off of a disruption. And now we were entering like it's March around this time. So now like COVID is happening. People are talking about COVID and a lot of our caseworkers and adoption agencies are talking about like, it's going to slow down. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you guys might be in the long haul and we're like, okay, well, I guess we're just gonna, 
you know, gear up for like, this could be another couple years. Yeah. And Kelsey, during this time, were you guys still pursuing any type of fertility treatment or was that still on pause? That was still on pause. No. Yeah. Basically when we came home from the disrupted adoption, I just went straight back to counseling. Oh, (laughs) so I just was like, when can I come in to get my first appointment? Cause I need to like (laughs) spill my guts to somebody. So (laughs) yes. Um, so that's the only thing that we resumed, but we didn't do any fertility treatments or anything like that. Um, cause then three weeks later we were presented with a case and then we ended up matching again. Yeah. And so, um, then two weeks after that, we were flying back down to Florida and then that's when the world shut down. Yes. Wow. So, um, back to Florida we go and that's where we got married. So Florida is like a, such, such a special state to our heart. Like there's so many ties to it, but, um, yeah. And then end of March, our daughter Navy was born and her birth parents placed her lovingly into our arms. And it was absolutely surreal. The restoration of being present for that birth. I was so fearful to be in another birth again. I was a little bit afraid to like fall in love. But I think, I mean, in that moment when a baby is born, it is such a miracle that like, you can't hold back your emotions. You are just all in. And so we were all in. And, um, I was just so grateful that I had that redemption of being in her birth in such an intimate moment. And just so grateful that her birth parents allowed me that experience and offered it to us such a personal thing. And, um, we had an amazing experience in our hospital and we were able to be with her for the full two days and then discharged. And we were able to stay in Florida, um, for a few days until our States cleared us to transfer, but the world was shut down. So it was kind of like blissfully, like to us, we were on like the highest (laughs) high at that moment. Cause we were just like, we yeah. have this beautiful baby. Like we don't care. The world is shut down. Um, but I know it was such a, like, it was a scary time too. Cause at the same time I was like, wait, how are you going to fly home with an infant? And there's like COVID going on right now. And like, this That's is terrifying. Cool. What if we get sick? Um, there was all these like travel restrictions that we had to get approved for my husband being in the military as well to travel and to move throughout the U S but, um, yeah, so we, we came home with our daughter and, um, yeah, now she's two and a half and just busy. Wow. That is so beautiful. I literally had tears in my eyes when you said that. Oh my gosh. I did too. It was the first podcast. I literally started crying and I was like, (laughs) that is so sweet. Yeah. So the, I think the biggest miracle, the timing thing, the miracle for me was from the moment we were home study approved, um, to the moment our daughter was born was exactly like nine months minus a day, an entire like pregnancy. Right. So like God gave me a pregnancy. It just was through my heart and my labor was years long, but it was absolutely worth every ounce of the pain of waiting for her. I cannot wait for her to hear this one day. That is so beautiful. What a beautiful story. Yeah. Yeah. It is such a gift when I think about it of like, you know, how every, every detail was orchestrated and how quickly we were able to rematch. And it's almost like, you know, we walked through the disruption and that was so hard for me to grieve and process until 
almost like, it's like I had more clarity once our daughter was here because I, I was just like, well, I don't know that we would have like presented to this case. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that God's going to let you miss your baby, but at the same time, like, I felt like we just needed to be there for that first expectant mom. And she needed the prayers and she needed the support and she needed someone to like love her with no strings attached. And I think that's what we did. And it gave her the courage and the strength to choose to parent. And we're so proud of her. And we still pray for her every day. And we pray for her baby. And sometimes it's hard because we don't know, like, what, where she's at or what she's like, or what her life is after having more communication. But ultimately we trust that, you know, our prayers are following her and same thing for our daughter's birth parents. We pray for them every day and we just celebrate the choices that they made and the most amazing gift that we get to be our daughter's parents. And that I get to experience parenthood and motherhood. You are so well-spoken. I really, yeah, I think this is going to really resonate with a lot of our listeners, especially the adoptive mamas, because you're probably maybe the third story of adoption that we've had on. First story, I think, of disrupted adoption. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's such a fear for people. So I definitely think this can like help so many women that since you did go through it, that I mean, it's heartbreaking and so traumatizing, but you still were able to continue and move forward. And now you look, you have your daughter. That's absolutely. Yeah. And it is so scary. It's the, it's like the scariest thing that can happen in adoption. And I didn't know if I would be able to live through it. Honestly, when I was in the thick of it, I think I was just so numb and so hurt already from years of infertility, even though I had had lots of grief counseling at that moment, but think there's this beautiful form of resiliency that comes through those trials and hardships. And that just makes you this super parent and you have this strength that you didn't even know within your bones. And you're just like fully present for your child, the exact child that was meant for you. And I think whenever we reflect back on it, even now walking into our hope for a second adoption. It is scary. It's scary. Cause I'm like, now we have another little body with feelings and a heart and you know, what's going to happen to her little heart. Um, so yeah, we walk I through w- that experience again. I would love to, to get into that too. So Navy's two, you said two and a half. Yeah. Two and a half. Yeah. And I think my understanding is that you guys did resume fertility treatments after her adoption. Yeah. So after her adoption, um, we just, I mean, we just kind of took some time and like celebrated being parents and we were like, this is amazing and so hard and so good. And we like cried and we laughed and we did all the things. Right. And then I just still felt like an inkling in my body that like, I just, I wasn't ready to like, that door was still kind of cracked for me. So, um, I actually began like researching NAPRO technology because I really felt like I wasn't being heard by the providers with the questions. And I just wasn't okay with like going the rest of our days with unexplained infertility and not having like this answer. So, um, did lots of research and ended up finding a provider who specialized in that and scheduled an appointment. And, um, it's kind of weird because it was the first male doctor that I've ever seen. I've always preferred to go to women. And he was like, probably the most reassuring and like, I can relate. Yeah. My RE was male and it was the first ever. And it still to this day is my best experience. 
Yes, 100%. And he was just like, so kind and just was like, you should not be living with this unknown. And we're going to get to the root of this. Um, he did some like monitoring, um, with like imaging in his office. And he really felt like there is a potential that I had endometriosis that was undiagnosed. And so he recommended a surgery. Um, so this last July of 2022, I actually had, um, a laparoscopic surgery. And, um, when I woke up from surgery, they were like, yep, stage four endometriosis. So yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have like the typical symptoms that, you know, I would like bring up things to my providers about things that I had researched or like, could it be this? Because, you know, sometimes I have this or sometimes I have that. Um, and they were always like, no, like every woman has some cramping in their period. And mine was never like intense to where I couldn't go to work or I couldn't like function. And so I think that was a big thing. And, um, really like a lot of people would say like, well, a lot of women like blah, 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 blah. They'd kind of just like bypass you over. So, um, to know, and to have that validated, it was like such a empowering feeling to be like, I knew, I knew my body. I knew my body well enough to know that something was wrong, but it was very sad to be like, almost thinking of like my younger self of like this poor girl that went through, you know, like me back in, 2016, 2017, going through treatments, knowing that this probably was in my body at that time, but just, and yeah, I think didn't have any answers. You're, you're part of that statistic of like, it takes five to 10 years for a woman to actually get diagnosed with endo, which is just, cause at this point you're five, you're about five years in, right? From 2016. Yeah. So, well, I just had surgery this last year. So seven years in. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. That yeah. So seven is... years in diagnosis for endo and, um, yeah, it, it's just a really tricky diagnosis because some women with endometriosis can easily get pregnant and don't even know they have it. And some women really struggle. And so for me, it was kind of like a little glimmer of hope of like maybe having this surgery will like clear everything out. And then like everyone says, right. You you adopt and then you just, you're not stressed or something. I don't know what, whatever yeah. they say. I've tried everything. It doesn't work, yeah. but you know, <laughs> they're like, you're going to have a baby. Oh, yeah. Um, and so we were so hopeful and, you know, to be honest, we are still hopeful for a miracle and we are still like completely open for God to just use that. And I feel like the best thing I could do is just step forward in a yes. And to be like, okay, God, if it's going to come through my body, like the answer is yes. Um, but ultimately we felt like even though we had the surgery and had done a few treatments after, um, I still just feel like our family is supposed to grow through adoption. Like we, it's to me, it's not, it's almost like not important the biology. I think I would love nothing more than to experience pregnancy. Um, just to even have that option of like, Oh, I want to know what kicks and flutters feel like. I want to know what I want to know if I have the choice to breastfeed or not. Like I want those options. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm like fully okay. If the answer is no, because I know that our family 
is still absolutely so beautiful through adoption and it has softened my like eight for that. I still desire it, but it's more of like, that would be just such a miracle and a testimony, but I'm okay kind of setting that on the side and moving forward with adoption. You just said that so eloquently, like I I think that some people don't understand. It's not the ache for the biological child. It's the ache for the pregnancy. And and I think Amanda could attest to that as well through embryo adoption and and having the pregnancy. Um, Gosh, that's so beautiful. I, oh my goodness. I know. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's like a unique perspective kind of walking through adoption too, because there's a very like sacred time where the baby is born and they're not really yours yet, but you have this like promise or intention from their expectant family that they are hoping to make this plan. And you're kind of on this like limbo waiting. And I think sometimes my heart desires that control of like an experience where it isn't waiting. Like the baby is from me and I know that it is ours, like almost that security feeling that I desire, but it's also like somewhere where I feel like I have grown and stretched as a parent in those like few days of just the depth of intention and prayer that goes into those days and those moments, like no matter the outcome, I think is something that is so sacred to adoptive parents that it's like one of the most precious moments Mm -hmm. that you can walk through. And I think whether that child is yours or not, those prayers just stay with that family and with that child. And it can be such a unique experience. So there's a lot of like, and both, you know, you crave the security and the control and the choices, but also I think it's really beautiful that we get to be in a spot where we are just like so open, so fully surrendered that no matter the choice, like we are just choosing to love. We're just choosing to be there and be present. Oh my goodness. I love that so much. And it sounds like even in your faith, like it, like I'm sure it would have to grow so much because you totally have to surrender to God that he's in control. I mean, as like a parent myself and I got to give birth to Ben, I couldn't, I like in my mind can't imagine those days of just being in that limbo. So you truly do have to surrender fully that, I mean, God's in control. Yeah. I think it's a huge picture of like what to expect in parenthood. Cause there are so many things that will get me all stressed out over like our daughter and Navy and like things that she's doing or worries about like, Oh, she's sick. And, but it's like, almost you have that practice of release and surrender in that moments prior. And so you continue to practice it and you get a little stronger in your muscles and your body remembers. And it just continues to practice that surrender of like, I am stewarding my daughter as a parent, the best parent that I can be, but ultimately like, I don't have any control. I mean, I can control minor things in her life, but I can't control everything. And it's just constantly that day by day, like one day at a time, one surrendered moment at a time. And God just meeting us here in the middle of our parenting journey. I could really use that advice today. That is, that is so, so wonderful. So as you move into adoption number two, do you feel like you feel more prepared or it's all the way back to square one as it was? And just, are you guys using the same agency or, or consultant? How do, what does that look like? 
Yeah, I think we will be using the same um, agency and consultant. We we had a really great experience and we loved working with our consultant. Um, she was like a dear friend to us and we still talk to her to this day. Um, and so I think that will be the route that we go through. But there is a little bit of like, almost like PTSD trauma feeling jumping back into it. You know, there's a lot of hopeful anticipation and excitement, but then at the same time, there's a lot of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this again. Like, should we be doing this again? Remember how scary it was? And I think your brain, you know, it doesn't forget those um, little pathways that it's created and your body remembers. And so there's been definitely some moments of fear and tension in there, but ultimately I think our, our family motto is just like, we are just going to keep putting our yes forward and God's just going to do it for us. And like, we are so open and so surrendered. And we just really feel like in our hearts is where our family is growing. And we feel like we are, um, just so open to what it's going to look like. And so I think this time around I'm better prepared and that I don't have any strings attached. And I know that things can be, really spontaneous and really crazy and wild. But at the same time, um, we're excited because, you know, just like everyone shares like, oh, my first pregnancy compared to my second pregnancy compared to my third, like so many people have different experiences with their pregnancies. And so I think that can be the same with adoption. Like we might have a longer wait. We might have a really fast match. That's not a disruption. And I just keep reminding myself, like, it can be different. You know, we don't have to grab onto the old manna, like God's going to do something different for us and we can get new every day. And it, it's just exciting, but scary at the same time. Oh, Kelsey, I'm so excited for you, especially going into a new year in a few weeks. I will be praying for you. I know Amanda will be as well. Um, your Instagram is just wonderful in terms of just sharing your story day by day, week by week. And so we'd love to link that um, in, in the show notes and stuff. And you've given incredible advice for maybe a, a prospective mom that's thinking about adoption. So I'm sure it's okay if they maybe reach out to you via social media. Yes. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else you kind of want to share with listeners? I mean, you've already given so much, so much good advice in oh, terms of surrender. Advice. Yeah. And waiting and all of that. Yeah. I think um, really the last like deep things on my heart are if you are walking through a season of like a disrupted adoption or even just like considering adoption as an option, you know, it's okay to grieve the, like the way that you wanted your family to grow initially. And I think that can be so important is just to take care of that part of yourself first before jumping into something. And then I think there's just also a really beautiful space where you can have this open conversation with God to lament and just to grieve some of that. And I almost feel like doing that creates like this intention for what kind of parent and mother you're going to be already. And so even though you might not have a baby in your arms, doing this right now is one of the ways that you can prepare. And each time I would like pray or, um, you know, have like a conversation with God, I would think of it as like my appointment, like my, it's almost like your OB appointment, right? Like this is your appointment with God and you are just meeting with him and you're creating this space of like praying intentionally into the child, 
even though you maybe don't know them yet or praying into their birth family and making it an appointment, a special time for you so that you can carry that into the seasons of motherhood when your baby is in your arms. Oh my gosh, the tears, the wisdom that you have, like literally, oh my gosh, that is really encouraging. We're just very thankful yeah. that you're here. Well, thanks, Kelsey. We really appreciate you being on with us and we will link your social media account. So I'm I'm sure people will be reaching out. I know um, when I was in the season of adoption in my life, you were um, definitely somebody I looked to. And as you shared today, the wisdom just continues on, on your post, on your platform. So thanks for, for being there and showing up for others in that way. And thanks for sharing your story with our listeners today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been such an honor.